السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ پیس اینڈ بلیسنگ اللہ بی اپون یو آل ویلکم ونس اگین ہیئر ان ڈرائیو ٹائم شو یو لسننگ ٹو انیک الرحمان اینڈ آئی جوائن بائی ڈاکٹر طارق باجوہ ہے فرام لنڈن اسٹوڈیو وائس اسلام السلام علیکم اینڈ وی ہیو این ایڈیشن بفور گوئنگ ٹو ڈاکٹر طارق باجوہ وی ہیو انادر کو پرزینٹر ہو از ود اس ٹوڈے ان دا اسٹوڈیو ہز نیم از عثمان علی انجم ہز joining us today and uh, hopefully you'll be joining us um, on every Wednesday. On a regular basis, yes. yes. Assalamu well, alaikum. Welcome. welcome, you as well. Welcome. And uh, uh, walaikum salam and assalamu alaikum to our listeners. Peace and blessings uh, of Allah be upon all of you. And uh, I hope you're enjoying our shows. Please join us. Uh, you can ask any questions if you have uh, and you can go on our Twitter website or website as well. And if you have any queries, you can join us uh, live as well. So what's the number? Can you, uh, Nick, please tell uh, yes, our listeners as well? Yes, they can call us on 0208-687-7878. And uh, they can tweet uh, at Voice of Islam UK. So moving back uh, to uh, today's topic, we will be discussing two topics, one in each hour, as we do normally. And uh, for the first hour, we'll be discussing sustainable living, a part of faith. Uh, we'll be dis- having, the, you know, this discussion on this and we'll be taking some guests who will be talking on this topic and given and we'll be, you know, we'll be giving their views, what they think about it. If I move on to introduction, you know, faith and sustainability seemingly appear as two, dis- you know, distinct concept that upon close examination share a profound connection that transcends cultural re- religious and geographical boundaries and sustainability at its core is the pursuit of balance and harmony between human activity and natural world to ensure the well-being of present and future generation faith on the other hand represents a deeply held belief system that guides individuals in their quest for meaning purpose and ethical conduct when these two realms intersect we find an interwoven you know tapestry of teaching values and tradition across different faiths that emphasize the importance of caring for the environment and promoting sustainable practices as allah the almighty mentions in the holy quran and i quote that and neglect not thy lot in this world and do good to others as allah has done good to thee and seek not to make mischief in the earth verily allah loves not those who make mischief so this week uh, i think this uh, the, the current week in which we are this is a recycle week this, uh, uh, it takes place from october 16th to 22nd and it aims to raise awareness about the advantages of recycling and motivate communities to actively participate This year's theme, titled The Big Recycling Hunt, centers on the concept of mist capture, referring to recyclable items often overlooked within the households. And it's alarming to know that in the UK, on average, households, gen- average ha- in the households, they generate 27.7 million tons of waste every year. Can you imagine? I mean, it's... Uh, that that's where you remember that you know there's a from a drop you make a uh, make a sea so this is 27.7 million tons of waste every year comes out of our houses every year 
plastic bottles, which you think that they are very light, uh, you know, their waste amounts to 14 billion tons. And out of that, you know, it's 14 billion tons of plastic bottles, 27.7 million tons of waste every year. 80% of this household is recyclable. However, only 45% is actually recycled. I think the, the lady of the house plays a major role in, you know, recycling your, your stuff in the house. If you've got a separate bins and you are watched and, and somebody can tell you that, please, this can go into the recyclable uh, bin, then you can easily do that. So they calculated that in 2021, there were 14 million tons of municipal waste was sent to UK landfill. And 6.8 million tons of this was biodegradable waste. That is, it was a greenhouse gas producing stuff. So the campaign features two primary components. One focuses on engaging schools, encouraging children across the country to participate in enjoyable activities throughout the recycle week, while the other emphasizes collaboration between local authorities, partners, and brands to promote the core message. So it is a combined work. It is, everybody has to, you know, sh to shake hands with each other, to cooperate with each other in order to do that, because that is that is when it is going to be successful. Because, you know, for example, you have collected something which is recyclable, but you don't have the facility that somebody would separate it and, and it is put into the same bin. There is no point. So it has to run throughout the cycle. The, the authorities, the council, they, ha they have to, uh, to collaborate with each other so that you are successful in, uh, and the stuff reaches at the right place. So throughout this uh, recycle week, the retailers, brands, waste management firms, trade associations, government entities, and the media, they all join forces to inspire the public to recycle more of the correct material and more frequently as well. As regards the, our topic today, because we are associating this environment and the, and the responsibility of environment uh, with the faith so how is how does the religion come into play into this uh, recycle week? So Allah's messenger, the holy prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He said, "The word is beautiful and verdant, and verily Allah, be He exalted, has made you His stewards in it, and He sees how you acquit yourselves." So this is a tradition of the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, and it puts the responsibility upon us all that we have been given this beautiful planet and we have to look after this so that it does not, it is not damaged in any way and we leave for the future generations a better planet with a better environment as well. So as stewards of our planet, individuals of faith, no matter of the faith, bear the duty to revive and safeguard the Earth's divine creation. It involves a conscientious awareness of our consumption patterns and the waste generation recognize environmental consequences of our actions. Consequently, our mission is to protect this magnificent planet, not just for our own sake, but also for the diverse plant and animal life we coexist with, as well as for the generations that will inherit this earth after us. This recognition underscores the immense responsibility 
entrusted to us. Allah the Almighty says, He it is who made you vicegerents in the earth. So that comes from the Holy Quran, the chapter, four, chapter 35, verse 40, that you are, because Allah has made you responsible and he has made you vicegerents in the earth, so you are responsible for what you do in this earth and how you keep it. Sustainability has emerged as a critical imperative for our planet in the face of pressing global changes such as climate change, resource depletion, and biodiversity uh, loss. So it is a call to action on acknowledgement that our current patterns of consumption and production are placing unprecedented strains on the Earth's ecosystems. About this, we have got our first guest mm -hmm. who will be speaking um, to on this topic. Yes, we have Andrew Pankhurst with us. Uh, he is a communications lead at Zero Waste Scotland. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Thank you very much for joining us today, Andrew. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, with the start of the first question, can you please tell us about uh, Zero Waste Scotland and how do you work with communities in reducing waste? Yeah, sure. I mean, Zero Waste Scotland is um, it's a not-for-profit environmental organisation. It's, it's funded by the Scottish Government, so we work... Um, primarily in Scotland, uh, just helping citizens and businesses to reduce the amount of waste that they produce and the amount of resources that they use and also to recycle more. Um, and so we do a number of different things in that area. We do a lot of um, campaigning work, um, really? campaigning, highlighting, raising awareness on different things from food waste to textile waste and uh, just household recycling, through, right through to um, funding innovation in businesses to to do things differently and do things in a more um, circular economy type way. Uh, so what is the circular economy and how can businesses transition to a circular economy model and what benefits might they you know expect to gain? Yeah, well, this circular economy is kind of, um, it's a different way of doing things from what we currently do. We, we would say currently we have a kind of linear economy where we, we take raw materials out of the ground, we turn them into products, we use them for a fairly short amount of time and then we sort of bury them back in the ground again in landfill sites and things like that. So the circular economy is a different way of doing it. You, you take your raw materials out of the ground and you turn them into products that are designed to last as long as possible. And they're also designed to sort of come apart easily again at end of life so they could either be repaired, remade, or turned into different things again so that you're minimizing the amount of stuff that you take out of the ground and you're minimizing the amount of stuff that you bury back into it as well. Mm. So there's all sorts of different forms that could take that could be around, um, you know, designing really long-lasting products that are leased rather than sold and so the manufacturers are constantly kind of repairing and, you know, sort of um, refurbishing them or through to things where actually the end product can be made into something else at the end of its life. Mm -hmm. What are the some common household products disposed that can be recycled and reused? How can thousands of, and embrace the principles of a circular economy in their daily lives? In terms of the kind of common household products, I suppose it would be the ones that, that people are familiar with that they use a lot of in the home. So there's some that are quite well known about and fairly well recycled. So you've got things like paper and cardboard, um, glass, and metal and plastic and actually with 
certainly the figures that we've just got back for Scotland, which is which is fairly in keeping with the rest of the UK on these things as well, is that we should do okay on that. So we recycle about half of what could be recycled, but we're still seeing half of what ends up in our general waste bins is, is full of things that could have been recycled, that could have been recycled and, and haven't been, they've been put in the general waste. So I think in terms of what people could do, they could certainly do um, more in kind of ensuring that those things, the paper, cardboard, plastic, those things that we all know about that we use as food packaging or drinks bottles and things like that, actually do end up in the recycling because we're getting some of them in there, but not all of them. But beyond that as well, there's a few things that still seem to be not as well known about that are really um, bad things for the environment to go in into landfill, but people are less aware of them. So the first one of those is food waste. Um, I think a lot of people don't realise, for example, that putting food waste into landfill is, is actually worse than putting things like plastic in landfill. It has a much higher carbon impact when we throw it away. Mm-hmm. And also food takes a lot more carbon emissions to actually produce in the first place. So if we waste it, we're wasting all those emissions. Um, and also textiles like clothing and, and you know bedding and things like that, that's got a huge um, carbon impact. And although we don't throw an awful lot of it away, it still has a huge, when we do throw textiles and clothes in the bin, that has a really negative impact on the planet. So it's definitely really important to take those to things like textile recycling banks which is something that perhaps not is not as common for people to do. So these are two things, food and textile waste, that people could actually make a big difference every day to the, their environmental footprint just by taking a bit more care of how they dispose of them. You see, in, in the UK, I mean, I, I've observed this, my personal observation, there's a lot of difference between council to council that how recycling is um, you know, is provided and uh, the, the facilities, they vary quite a bit. And then, uh, um, you know, obviously the um, the users of these services, they, they um, act accordingly. You know, if, if you, the more services are being provided, it will be better and the recycling will be better. So, so my question would be, what challenges do communities face in implementing recycling programs and how can they overcome these challenges? Well, I think what you've outlined there is, is probably a key factor and one of the main challenges is that recycling is different in every council area. Um, one of the things that we've done here in Scotland to try and make that a bit simpler is create, um, we call it the recycling sorter tool. It just lives on our website, but that would just, go, you can go into that. It's like a little widget that lives on the website and you can just say which local authority area you're in and it will give you a really clear breakdown of what you can recycle in that area and what colour bin, you know, different things should go in. Um, and I think for the rest of the UK, for England and Wales, there's a similar tool on the Recycle Now website as well, which is run by RAP, which is also really good. So those things can actually just help to take some of that confusion away. Um, but I think one of the other challenges that communities face around recycling is that people have been recycling now you know, but 10 or 15 years is sort of quite a normal thing to do. I think most people feel like, and certainly in the surveys that we, we, we take when we ask people about their recycling behaviour, they'll say, oh, no, I'm doing everything I can. But when you look at the actual waste data, which is taken from going through people's bins and actually kind of looking at what's in what bin, we see that's actually not the case, that around half of what's in our landfill bins is stuff that could have gone in the recycling bin. So I think there's a bit of a perception issue amongst people that 
oh, we're already recycling. I don't really need to listen to any of these initiatives or community programs around that because I'm already doing it. But the reality is that actually we're doing some recycling and we're getting some things in the right bins. But actually there's still quite a lot of stuff ending up in landfill that should have gone in our recycling bin. So it's, it's maybe just one of those things of kind of trying to spread that awareness that, you know, we, we're, we're getting about half of it right. We, need, we still need we still need to be getting quite a lot more material in the right bit. So, Andrew, you are, uh, obviously you are representing Zero Waste Scotland, but your your voice is reaching, um, you know, worldwide. So what would be your general advice to people that what can they do better so that we have a better recycling and uh, we can benefit as a whole, on the, the planet can benefit out of what individually one, um, you know, can participate in this program? Well, it's a, a good bit of advice that kind of works pretty well whether you're a business owner or whether you're uh, working with some sort of organization or whether you're just an individual that wants to do a bit more is what we call the three R's. So it's reduce, reuse, recycle. And in a way, that kind of sums up what we mean by the circular economy. So, and they sort of go in that order. Reduce first. So look at what, how you can actually reduce the amount of stuff that you're using or the, the amount of stuff that you're wasting. Can you buy less? You know, can you ask yourself, do we really need to buy this? Could we do without it? Is this something that we could just cut out altogether? Um, reuse, because that's about saying, well, can we make what we already have last longer? Um, can we, instead of having single use items, can we have things that we can use time and time again? Um, and if you can't reduce and you can't reuse, then make sure that what you, what you are using is recyclable and that you do recycle it. And actually, if you follow that quite simple hierarchy of reduce, reuse, recycle, that actually will help you make loads of decisions that you know benefit the environment and mean that you, the amount that you're wasting is reduced as much as it can be. Okay, thank you, Andrew. Thank you for join, uh, joining us today. And uh, I hope that uh, we, are, we have all benefited out of it and our listeners as well. And we can uh, be more aware and take active part into um, you know, getting this planet in, in towards uh, betterment rather than, you know, destroying it. Thank you very much for and have a nice evening. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that was uh, Andrew Pankhurst. He's uh, communication lead at Zero Waste Scotland. He was talking about, you know, what mayors and how we can we can actually improve the uh, the environment of this earth but we have been given the responsibility and I was I was speaking earlier on on uh, how faith is involved into putting us to the responsibility so um, our new co-presenter today Usman uh, what do you think about how does faith get into this first of all assalamu alaikum peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all as well um, thank you very much for the introduction it's an honor to be part of this show. Um, hopefully I can do justice. So Allah the Almighty states, He it is who made you vicerance in the earth. Sustainability has emerged as a critical imperative for our planet in the face of pressing global challenges such as climate change, resource depletion and biodiversity loss. It is a call to action an acknowledgement that our current patterns of consumption and production are placing unprecedented strains on the Earth's ecosystems. Sustainability seeks to transform these patterns into ones that nurture and protect the environment. 
promoting not only ecological stability but also social equity and economic prosperity. The urgency of this mission cannot be overstated as the consequences of environmental degradation ripple through all aspects of human existence, threatening the very foundation of life on Earth. Many of the world's major religions and belief systems have long recognised the intrinsic value of nature and the moral obligation to steward it responsibly. Through the Christian commandment to tend and keep the Garden of Eden, the Buddhist concept of interconnectedness and compassion for all living beings, or the indigenous spiritual traditions that view the land as sacred, faiths across the spectrum have shed light on looking after and preserving the environment. The Torah prohibits the unnecessary destruction of trees and natural resources. Sikhism teaches that the earth is a sacred space and Taoism emphasizes maintaining the divine harmony between nature and humanity. All faiths in the world advocate respect for nature as part of the larger framework of teachings. So as regards interfaith dialogue on sustainability, you know, of course, uh, it is a powerful catalyst for positive change. And in an era marked by environmental crisis and global interconnectedness, such dialogue serves as a bridge between diverse belief systems, fostering understanding and collaboration. The advantages are multifaceted. It promotes shared values of care for the earth, encourages collective problem solving, and helps bridge cultural divides. By bringing together representatives from various faith traditions, we can harness the moral and ethical teachings embedded within these traditions to advocate for responsible stewardship of the environment. In a world that often seems divided, interfaith dialogue on sustainability offers a unifying force, reminding us that the preservation of our planet is a shared responsibility, surpassing religious, cultural, and political boundaries. The Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he guided us by saying, a simple way of life is part of faith. So anybody who, who claims to believe the Holy Prophet, وسلم, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, you know, he, he, he knows that the, the simplicity will help us in our lives. And it has... It is part of his faith. Whatever he does, you know, he would try to do it in a simple way. And living a simple life is a personal philosophy that uh, that naturally aligns with the principles of sustainable living. Both share a common goal for, of fostering a more balanced and responsible way of life that benefits individuals, communities, and the environment. The ethos of living a simple life often includes a heightened awareness of the environment and a desire to live in harmony with nature. This can manifest in practices such as gardening, composting, and adopting eco-friendly habits, all of which are consistent with sustainable living principles. Pra practicing energy-saving habits, being mindful of water wastage during showers of dishwashing, reducing the use of single-use plastics, are all small habits that can easily adopt. You know, simply if you if you see that a bulb is not required to be uh, to be on, all you can do is just switch it off. You know, 
you you are helping the environment that is more importantly than than you are saving money hmm. because you know your electricity bill is going to to be reduced just by switching off a bulb which is not required or which is extravagant which is uh, you know sometimes for no reason you you leave the bathroom light on or you leave the you know when you're leaving home make sure that all the lights are switched off and uh, these small practices and similarly the, the shower i mean i remember one instance where the holy prophet of islam prophet muhammad may peace and blessings of allah be upon him he observed somebody who was who was making an ablution and mm-hmm. he he saw him he, he saw that he was you know the water was being wasted and he said that you are accountable for the water you are using and uh, so this uh, companion was surprised and he said that you know i'm just making ablution so even if i would be responsible for this and he said that even if you are sitting on the bank of a river and making mm-hmm. uh, making your ablution you will be responsible for the amount of water you are being used so you the water you are using so so he held responsible similarly so when you are you, you know you are, you are doing your ablutions here even in between you can just switch off the tap because it won't be wasted then similarly when you are brushing your teeth you know you you use it to make it wet and then you, you brush your teeth but meanwhile you can just switch off the tap and and that would help so the small things they they combine they they they, they join up to make the things bigger so it will be a, a big influence by by just changing your habits habits of um, uh, you know making energy saving habits and that would nowadays particularly when the the cost of electricity has gone up it will definitely be it is going to help your pocket as well yes uh, dr baji you are much right and i think <clears throat> the holy prophet peace be upon him has mentioned in a very simple way a simple way of life is part of the faith and if we look if we discuss anything i think if we start living simply as you said it covers i think it's it's, it's a solution for everything especially for the waste we have we are not you know we are buying excessively and not having our food and we are wasting it and those happens and that at the end goes in the waste and there's so many things are there where you know we are not living our life simple and we're not taking care of small things as mentioned uh, earlier you know the practicing energy saving habits and being mindful of water waste waste during shower or dishwashing using the use of single use plastic are small habits that we can easily adopt so valuing what true matters while reducing you know the clutter and unnecessary consumption is not only pocket friendly as i mentioned and it is eliminates the need of constant acquisition of goods but is also a boon for the environment but curbing our desire for excess and you know embracing minimalism we reduce our carbon footprint and decrease the strain on earth's you know finite resources this and and there's another it's it's been mentioned that and give given thou to the kinsman his due and to poor and the wayfarer and squander not thy wealth you know extravagantly wearily you know spending extra our brothers of satans the people who spend uh, you know extra the brother of satans and satan is ungrateful to his lord so it's taken from the holy quran and very beautiful teaching is there that you should not be the person who's wasting and you have something extra and you're becoming a brother of satan and there are some verses where 
God Almighty has our intention to us that we should not be a part where we are wasting something, we have extra, and we should look after people who are poor and, you know, we have to take care of them. So our lifestyle, you know, characterized by excessive consumption and wasteful habits leads to heightened resources, you know, depletion and environmental degradation. Rampant consumerism has become a part of society, updating furniture, car or phone to achieve the trending, you know, aesthetic. And mindlessly buying into fast fashion and disposing of them as trends change and generating uh, excessive food waste in household contribute to a soaring carbon footprint. And we look at our daily life. We So many times we are not living a simple life. We want to want change in our life. And we sometimes we see that people are you know buying something and just waiting for once and just throwing it away and then buying a new one. And what happens is all things, everything, they are buying and using it for once or twice and just uh, throwing in the bin it going into the waste and you would see the carbon footprint after that so the production and if we move on to you know the, the production of transportation and disposal of these item places enormous stress or ecosystem accelerates climate change and you know uh, and what happens that uh, because we're not taking care of all those things, we see the changes and we have start seeing it. And I think government is after that to uh, bring that, uh, you know, the to, to overcome the climate change and try not to do those things which, uh, uh, you know, create uh, pollution within the within the atmosphere. So moreover, the pursuit of Extravagance often entails the exploitation of labor and and the use of unsustainable material, further amplifying the environmental toll. The head of Amdiya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad, may Allah be help, states that now people have become so lazy that if they want to go from one place to other place and the distance is only 100 yards or 200 yards, instead of walking to the place, they use their motorbike or car. In this way, you know, pollution is increasing. Okay, thank you, Nika. We we do have our next guest, who is Gabriel S. Manjan Godze, if I pronounced it right. Uh, he's a food and climate justice manager at SafeSea. SafeSea is the South African Faith Communities Environmental Institute. It's a multi-faith organization supporting faith leaders in Southern Africa to increase awareness, understanding, and action on eco-justice sustainable living and climate change. We welcome him on this uh, Drive Time show. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, uh, Gabriel. Thank you very much. I am glad to be on this show and uh, good evening, everyone. Thank you very much. Good evening. And uh, so first first of all, t- uh, could you tell us about SafeSea and what is the idea behind it? Thank you very much. Um, SAFSI, as you have already mentioned, its full name is Southern African Faith Communities Environment Institute. It was formed in 2005 as a response to a multi-faith approach to dealing with environmental issues. And um, SAFSI at the moment works on three different um, areas which are the food and climate justice, energy and climate justice, and um, animals and climate justice as well. And in our work, we are focusing on bringing a faith approach 
to looking at the environment. Since all faiths in their sacred text or in their sacred beliefs, they value environment and they value uh, working in good uh, relation with the environment. It doesn't matter it is the Muslim faith, Christian faith, the Jewish faith, Hinduism, or any other faith, African traditional religion, all faiths put environment at the center. And because of that, we felt that we should have an organized way of dealing with the environment. And this is why our South Sea actually was formed. And right now, we have different uh, faith groups that we work with right across the region. And uh, we are doing in-country training on issues around faith, particularly encouraging the leadership to take on the button and lead uh, their faith communities as far as looking after environment is concerned. That's great. So, Gabriel, how is CFC promoting sustainable living and raising environmental awareness? We do have what we call the Faith Leader Environment Advocacy Training. At first, we did the regional training, so we have two groups of about 40 faith leaders from across Southern Africa who were trained in faith um, from a faith approach to look after the environment and the things that we are looking at mainly looking at particularly at food and our climate justice we are saying whatever we eat has an impact on the environment the way we produce it has an impact on the environment the way we prepare it has an impact on the environment as well as the way we dispose of it has an impact on the environment and the our energy sources also have an impact on the environment so we are looking at finding alternative ways of um, growing our own food and um, also disposing of um, the waste and also minimizing the waste that we are generating and we are doing this on the basis of faith on the basis of our, what our faith tells us that we are supposed to be stewards of the environment. So we have different groups of um, trained faith leaders right across uh, the region where we train every year. We train at least uh, two to three countries where we have new groups of about 30 people who are trained and who go back and train others as well as practice the way of our sustainable consumption. So... Yes, that's a that's a good thing that you are bringing the um, people of different faith together on on uh, particularly in this platform, how to help the environment and uh, so. Um, how much uh, of an impact has been made by holding interfaith dialogue on sustainability and eco-friendly living, and what has been the advantage of bringing different faiths together? Thank you. First, on the issue of um, the impact, right now we have. A lot of people who are moving away from industrially produced uh, crops and who are now opting to start organic gardens and who are also looking at um, the issue of, say, hens, so that we are moving away from caged hens towards free-range hens. And we also are looking at
uh, sharing in our different faith communities the benefits of having organic food and moving away from our chemically produced food. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, on the issues that um, relate to the response that we have got, right now we have um, faith leaders who are taking a lead in sharing or in making sure that in their faith communities, people are shifting away from chemically produced food. And they are also making examples at their own uh, faith um, buildings where we would have demonstration gardens and people are coming in to to learn and people are coming in to support this in terms of uh, buying the organic food that is produced in the different places. And uh, we have also joined with other entities in Southern Africa at country level as well as at continental level so that we continue to share our different perspectives, but also bringing the different communities together. We find that there are a lot of similarities that are shared right across most of the faith as far as the stewardship of the um, environment is concerned. And we share these sacred texts and we find that um, they are similar in many ways and therefore it brings us closer together as um, the human race in terms of the shared perspectives as far as um, our um, concern for environment is um, concerned. And um, we also have sessions where people share um, direct um, text from their different uh, faith, which then means we are able to come up with a common position among the faith as far as um, the environment is concerned. That's great. So how can the collective efforts of diverse faith communities lead to advancement in addressing global environment challenges? Because that is is one thing we are putting in, uh, discussing today, that how, uh, you know, if all the different communities are getting together, they might be more successful. Yes, I, I think we would take a deeper dive as far as um, bringing this is con- bringing the shared position is concerned, because if we have an understanding that um, in each of the faiths we do have people who share a similar perspective, it means even when we are in the communities, we would not um, move away from each other, but we come closer. Different faith communities found in uh, different places working together so that all of us are better able to have um, a singular um, uh, focus as far as making sure that the environment is kept in a way that future generations are also going to be enjoying it. That's great. We will be leaving a good legacy for everyone. So this is why we would want everybody to be together. Thank you very much. Thank you, Gabriel, for joining us uh, this afternoon. It was a pleasure talking to you, and I hope everybody has benefited out of your um, uh, your discussion. Thank you, and have a nice evening. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye.
So that was uh, Gabriel S. Manyan Godze. He is uh, the Food and Climate Justice Manager at SAFESI. SAFESI is a South African Faith Communities Environmental Institute, and it is a multi-faith organization supporting faith leaders in Southern Africa to increase awareness, understanding, and action on eco-justice, sustainable living, and climate change. So as a whole, I think if, if all everybody joins hands and um, start working on, uh, they, they make a decision that that's how we are, go- we are going to work on the environment because we are responsible. If everyone feels that responsibility, because you see, we were talking to, to this, this person from um, Africa, and uh, Africa, if we see um, the percentage of how much involvement, how, how much you are responsible for creating the um, environment in which we have, we have, you know, less uh, green gases. We are, uh, you know, the, although we we can say that there deforestation taking place at various places, but as a whole, the countries who are responsible for the change in the environment are not those who are, uh, you know, there 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 are lots of countries which are making a better uh, contribution. Uh, whereas those who are responsible for doing it, they are doing the least to help the environment. So this is what what needs to be understood. And if this this message is understood, then I think um, the things can be changed. So um, so as we said that as a Muslim, we have it is a part of our faith that uh, you know cleanliness is part of our faith. So whatever we do, we are doing in a better in a in a way that uh, that it should have a least effect on the environment, and we are beneficial. Living a simple and humble life, that is that is one thing which will definitely help everyone. And uh, it will also help you to uh, reduce the stresses of life. Because sometimes you are uh, leading a, a, a stressful life just because you want a bigger house, you want a bigger car, you want a bigger, you know, everything. And, and it is extravagant. You, you don't require it. The basic needs and, and the, uh, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was the best example, you know, that he achieved uh, a very high status as well. Although he was at one stage, he was a poor person, didn't have much resources. But when the resources came to him, still he was living a very simple life, very humble life. And um, you remember one, one, one time one of his companions, Hazrat Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, he came and he saw him that he was lying down on a, on a mattress which, and, and he had the marks of this mattress on his back. And he said to him that you are king of the kings. You, are, you have been appointed as the, you know, you have got a highest status in the world. And yet the, uh, the kings of... Uh, uh, Persia and the kings of Rome, they are living in such luxury and you you don't have even a comfortable bed. And he, he said that this life is a short life. We are here just like we we are just like a like a, a traveler who on the way sees a tree and rests for a little while in, the, in its shade and then moves on. So this life is like that and that's how we should live this life. So that is the example we have. If we start living that that kind of life, of course, of course, the comfort and luxury is not forbidden. Islam does not uh, forbid that, but Islam says that you should keep a balance, and you should not waste anything. You should not be extravagant, and excessive consumption, anything in excess is bad. So you keep the moderation, 
And if you live your life in balance, that that is what is going to help you. You're very much right. Uh, one of the hadiths or the saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has mentioned, as you were saying, <clears throat> that he said that be in this world as if you were a stranger or a traveler. Again, you know, this comes to the point that luxury or, uh, you know, if you think any comfort, is not something forbidden in Islam. In this hadith, we really much find that you know, this this the saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, give us this understanding that you are not going to live here for, for forever. You have to leave one day. You are a stranger. Or, you know, think like you're a traveler. As you mentioned one of the saying that, you know, you're, you're staying under the tree and, you know, just resting and then you move on. And that's what our life is. We ultimately, we have to move on from this this world. But, when we're living our life, we do not think about these things. What we do, we want to live a luxury life. We want to buy, you know, best out of best we can buy for the house. And sometimes what we do, if we have bought once, we try to change after a few years. You know, you just in a way that, you know, okay, I'm not liking it now. Again, I'm going to spend a thousand pounds. And all those things going to go in waste because... You just feel like to, to, to you, you, you like you feel like to have a change within your life, and you know if the change comes like that and you are uh, wasting a lot of things and what happens and as this is, that's what we're discussing today, it's it's not something which Islam says excessive use of anything is it, it, it's not uh, you know uh, appropriate in in Islam, and that's what the teachings of the teaching of Islam is that if you want to live a life a life should be balanced life you know you have to. Look around you, whatever you need, you can take it. But there shouldn't be a case where excessive use is is, is been done, and what ap- what happens at the end ultimately it will be wasted. And on the other hand, we also be grateful to God Almighty that what God has given to us. If we are wasting things, then we can be a person who's ungrateful and not uh, you know uh, following what God has instructed us in the Holy Quran, and. You know, using the means which God has provided for us, yes, is there for us. But on the other hand, if we are, you know, using in a way that we are wasting it at the end, there's so many things I can name it. You know, sometimes we have food. We know we need a little bit. We, what we do, we make a lot of it. Sometimes, I've seen, you know, we have been discussing one guest here. <clears throat> and one thing she mentioned, I think it was very beautiful. She said, whenever you go to a grocery, look at your fridge. Sometimes what happens, you buy something a month ago, you don't use it, it's in the fridge, in the freezer, it's just there. And you buy another pack of it, and then ultimately what happens is goes in the waste. So to be a grateful to God Almighty is one of the things that you have to understand, that whenever you are buying anything, you have to look whether you're in need of it or not. Or if you're not in need of it, then you should not be buying just for the sake of, you know, uh, feel yourself or make yourself happy. And, you know, these are things, what comes up at the end, ultimately it will remain here and can possibility to go to waste. You know, there is a very interesting verse in the, in the Holy Quran. Uh, it says, corruption has appeared on land and sea because of what men's hands have wrought, that he may make them taste the fruit of some of their doings so that they may turn back from evil. This has been taken from chapter 30, verse 42. The balance, which is called mizan in Arabic, that's the balance. Balance of nature is intricate and it's complex. It must be maintained. 
all living things have a symbiotic relationship and that inter interdependence cannot be interrupted. So wherever the people have disturbed the balance, they have suffered. And that is, I think, the, the reason why, because the ecosystem which God Almighty has created is such perfect system that if that balance is, is taken away, then you, you are likely to suffer and the world is going to be suffering. Sustainable living is not merely a choice. It is an imperative that resonates with the very survival of our planet and future generations. It is essential to remember that meaningful change doesn't always require grand gestures, our individual and collective small efforts, they can and they do translate into significant global impacts. Every conscious uh, choice to reduce waste, conserve resources, and minimize our carbon footprint contributes to the broader movement towards a more sustainable world. So that's the message today. Uh, I think we have uh, discussed uh, in details what uh, about the environment. And um, so in a short while, we'll uh, join again for our next uh, topic. Uh, and I hope you join us uh, again after that. <laughs> He is the King of the Kings and indeed is the Master of the Day of Judgment. He is the Lord of all creation. The Master of the Day of Judgment is one who runs the affairs of the masses according to his will. Malik, Master, is one who has total possession of creation and has this possession without the help of any partnership and that this is not applicable to anyone but Allah. Unlike a Malik, king, from whom one seeks everything, the term Malik, master, denotes that God is responsible for everything, including food, reward, and punishment. The rule of God is not like any kingship of this world. Rather, it has total ownership and control. God has expounded the good and the bad deeds to us and has given us free will in this world and has told us that He has the right to punish and that the decision to punish or forgive is with Him. The promised Messiah, on whom be peace, said, that the attribute of Master of the Day of Judgment demands that we turn to Him with extreme and utmost humility, sincerity, and meekness. Those who turn to Allah in the manner of a completely helpless and powerless person and do actually and genuinely believe in their utter incapacity as they submit, find beneficence from this divine quality. Malik is a quality of deed that promotes and advocates a profusion of mercy and compassion. However, how can man imbibe this divine attribute on a human level? 
Adopting mastership means that man may do justice and may avoid evil. In this capacity, he also overlooks others' wrongs, either out of mercy, compassion, or forgiveness. These human qualities only come to the fore when one is in authority and possesses control over something. One's good moral qualities and courtesy only come into focus when one is given status. An awareness of the attribute of Malikiyat turns one heart tender with the awe of punishment and thus generates a true insight. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessing of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back after the short news break. Uh, we gonna go ahead over to our next <clears throat> a subject which we'll be discussing, which we'll be discussing today. And uh, this particular hour we'll be discussing a uh, topic of slavery and how uh, we broken the world of its shackles. Shackles. For, for sh- shackles. So now we will be discussing this and we'll be having uh, some guests on, on this topic who will be you know, covering some aspects. You can also call us on 0208-687-7878 or you can tweet at Voice of Islam UK. So today, 18th of October, is Anti-Slavery Day. It takes place every year and it provides an opportunity to raise awareness of human trafficking and modern slavery and encourage government, local authorities, companies, charities and individuals to do what they can to address the problem. Anti-Slavery Day is an opportunity to raise awareness of the fact over 49.6 million people in the world today. And an estimated 136,000 people in the UK are trapped in conditions of modern slavery. But it does not, it does not have to be this way. Anti-Slavery Day is a time to encourage governments, businesses, friends, family, and colleagues to do what they can to prevent human trafficking and protect victims of modern-day slavery. In the Holy Quran, it states, O ye Muslims, Allah the Exalted commands you to show kindness and benevolence towards parents and to kindred and orphans and the needy and towards your slaves and bondwomen and know that surely Allah loves not the proud and boastful. That's from chapter 4, verse 37. The teaching brought by the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, relevant to the issue of slavery was divided into two categories as far as efforts of reform were concerned. Firstly, an improvement in the state of existing slaves and steps in securing their freedom. And secondly, the establishment of fundamental injunctions for the future. So as regards the history of slavery, slavery originated from the aftermath of wars between tribes, nations or countries with defeated men often executed and women and children taken as slaves. As civilization and and, and commerce advanced, the demand for labor and servants grew, leading to the enslavement of defeated nations as a convenient source of labor. Men were spared death and subjected to forced labor in various roles. Over time, this practice spread and in some regions, the slave population even exceeded that of free residents. 
Slaves were considered their master's property, with masters having full control over their lives and the authority to assign tasks and punishments as they saw fit. But the thing is that even today, mm -hmm. when we consider ourselves <clears throat> to have advanced and uh, we, we are into civilizations, still it's very strange that the modern slavery it, it still exists. Modern slavery is the severe exploitation of other people for personal or commercial gain. Thus, human trafficking is a type of modern slavery. And modern slavery and human trafficking are grave and persuasive human rights abuses that involve the exploitation and coercion of individuals for various purposes, including forced labor, sexual exploitation, and other forms of exploitation. So we'll be discussing this in detail today and what steps can be taken to avoid it, what can we do as an individuals, and how can the organizations at the government level, at the national level, and in the various organizations, we can um, be more aware of this going on around us and how and what we can do about it. Modern slavery, uh, as regards the definition and what includes in it, uh, forced labor, of course, is part of modern slavery. If you are, for, if you are forced to, to do a work, any work which you are not interested in or you are not willing to do it, but you are forced either because of the economic pressures or the people who have control over you, who have brought you into such circumstances where you can't go out of it, or they, you are under their control and they are pushing you to do these things. This is called forced labor and people are coerced and they, or they are deceived into working against their will. They may work in factories, farms, construction sites, domestic work, and other industries uh, under exploitative conditions where they may not be being paid in full what they should be. They may not be being paid minimum wages, which in the advanced countries here, we have the rules that you have to pay a minimum wage. But those who may, may not be in a situation where they are not legally living here, or they've been brought here and they do not have the legal rights to work, and they are working, and but they are being paid at much less. Uh, so that would also be included in this modern slavery. In a hadith, uh, it mentions it says, Abu Zar, uh, may Allah be pleased with him. He was one of the companions of the Holy Prophet. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He narrates that the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, would state, your slaves are your brethren. I think these are very, very golden words, golden principles which, uh, which have been given by the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He said, your slaves are your brethren. Hence, if an individual has a slave under his control, then he should feed him what he eats himself. And he should clothe him with what he wears himself. Do not burden your slaves with a task that is beyond their capacity. And if you do, then assist them in this task yourself. So you see, this is the golden principles which have been given by the by the by the Holy Quran, by the, by the Prophet of Islam, and and if one acts upon these, you see how a, a slavery uh, would be left behind because you know, and and not only that, he said that he practically is in his own example when he was very you know the, he was he was a poor person, but when he got married to Hazrat Khadija. 
um, his 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 wife has a Khadija may Allah be pleased with her you know she was uh, uh, she was an affluent person and she had um, she had lots of slaves and she offered all of them to 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 give it as a present to the holy prophet may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and you know what he did he freed all of them so this is the example so he he led by example so today, again, we have to learn from that. And, and wherever we see that somebody we can help to, to get out of this uh, mod, modern slavery, we should, we should try to help it. You're very much right. As you're mentioning, <clears throat> modern slavery, you know, includes various things. And one of the things is, you know, debt bondage. And individuals are trapped in a cycle of debt and forced to work to repay it often under a condition that, uh, you know, make it impossible ever to repay the debt. And <clears throat> one of the, you know, person I've met, uh, we went for homeless feeding and, you know, sometimes we wonder why people are on the road even though there's a welfare state and uh, it's been helped by a government. And and I spoke to a person that, how come you looks fine, looks like he was wearing a proper suit and he was coming from the office. He said, I'm under debt. I'm not living in a house. I'm trying to pay whatever I can. As much as I'm earning, I'm giving back to banks so I can, you know, once again, I stand on my feet and, uh, you know, do my, uh, run my company as I was doing before. If, because the help is there, but is there, is there in a way of debt? And if somebody, you know, collapses, then what happens? And he, the, the person is on the road and even though he can, he can't even, you know, think about living at home and he was there and having food and on the, if, if it goes a year back or two years back, he was, you know, running a company. So, you know, in Islam, Islam uh, one of the things in Islam, Ahmadi especially, the second caliph has mentioned uh, regarding uh, the will where, you know, the, the people or the, the Ahmadi Muslim Association, anybody who wants to promise one-tenth of his salary he gives for, for the for, to, to a community. And the, the, the purpose, one of the purposes is mentioned, the second caliph, that one day would become when people ask for, uh, you know, the new finance system. And the wasiyat, the will, will come in and, you know, help and it will give a loan to people. You know, if they will have their own businesses. If the business is running good, they can return it. If, if let's suppose, God forbid, the, the, the business collapse, then he's not under debt. Because he tried to be, a, you know, a, 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 a useful or productive person in, in, in society. But he, you know, didn't able to get success and if he has to face then he shouldn't be under debt. And what happens here, a person with his debt is keep going and going and he cannot even pay off his debt. So, again, as you're mentioning, it's, it's, a, it's another uh, you know, way of a modern slavery. We, you cannot do anything. You're trapped, you're trapped. And what happens in, in I think Dr. Tariq Baj would, would be able to mention that uh, where the fourth caliph has especially mentioned for the people in India who were under debt, the farmers especially. Yeah, particularly the interest, you know, interest yes. is something keep that increasing. you can never get rid of the, the debt you have because it, it's just they are, they are hardly ever able to pay the interest only and the main still, still um, there. Uh, uh, remains all their life. So, so they continue for generations and generations. So ultimately it is a, it is a kind of slavery because they become slaves. Uh, for Even the, for though the, living in the 21st century, the yeah, slavery absolutely. is still there. And I would like to mention, you know, the, the fourth caliph has particularly instructed that you know the, the, the they should the, the jama the community should pay off the debt so they can at least live a proper life take out the slavery Absolutely. so th these are the things where we 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 see that modern civilization still exists and uh, 
the way we are living in, it's it's not the way which we should. Now moving on is a child labor again. You know, a very very crucial point that you know children are forced to work under conditions that are harmful to their phys- physical and emotional well-being. Child trafficking, that you know the 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 trafficking of children f- for various forms of exploitation, including child labor, child you know soldiers and child marriage. Victims of global slavery, global globally are children. That's 12 million children globally. And again, I think we are in ease and we are living in the countries where we do not see those things that much. And that's why we think that this now not happening. And and eventually, we if we go to other countries like third world countries, we see children are on the road at night at eight, nine, ten. They are asking, they're selling something. And when you ask them, they said we don't have anything to food, and you know we can't do anything. We have to do child labor. They are part of it. But on the other hand, it's a kind of slavery where people who have money they want to keep it to themselves, and you know, you know, discussing their own uh, you know leaders. They are taking everything to them. They are not giving out to people. And what happens ultimately? They are slave. And and sometimes you know the people who are in need and the person who you know hires them. he does not give a proper amount to them and ultimately they are, they become like a slave they are just working whole day day and night and just getting paid maybe just couple of pounds for for, for a whole month so this is a slavery we're living in and uh, we're discussing today that is still exists and another form is you know forced marriage people particularly women and girls are forced into marriage against their will you know often involving sexual and labor exploitation one of the thing i want to mention here especially regarding forced marriage you know islam does not even you know is i should say islam is against this you know going against the will of the girl or you know forcing something on it the holy prophet peace be upon him or you know the, the khulafa the, the head of the ahmed um, muslim society has mentioned that the parents responsibility is to let them know this is the right person for you and it's on their shoulder their their decision if they want to if they like each other if they want to get married because they are the one who going to have to live live with each other it's not the parents and i myself do sometime counseling and very clearly the 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 head of amdia muslim association hazam is masoor ahmed uh you know may allah be his helper has clearly instructed that parents should know this that they are there to find a good match they are not there to force anything to anyone and this is the teaching of islam which you know the the, the khalif of ahmed association is 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 stuck is giving instruction of and you know make sure that we pass this instructions to parents and make sure that they they know that what they're doing they're not forcing anything to you know to to a girl so forced child marriage is happening and uh, you know there are so many areas where we see this and again it's it's kind of slavery we people in in early history if you go back you know how they were treated and the holy prophet peace be upon him came he said you have to give due right to 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 women but before that nothing was given to them they were treated bad and islam given the the, the respect and uh, you know the, the the due rights which was which supposed to be given to to to, to girls and we know in, in in those days people used to you know kill the you know uh, to uh, to kill their daughters Uh, they used to feel ashamed that they have uh, a daughter was born in their house so the holy prophet peace be upon him mentions so many in, in the sayings that if you raise you know uh, daughters you will be you know like me like the two fingers if i'm not mistaken so 
these all things are there to remove that slavery. Islam from very first day, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has mentioned through his actions that slavery is not what Islam teaches. Everybody has a right to live freely. Nobody is under or nobody is, you know, uh, a slave of anyone. And you should treat everyone like a brother. You know, you should wear wear them what you want to wear. You know, feed them what you are feeding yourself. So these these are the teachings of Islam. And whatever is we see the forced marriage again, you know, it's it's a modern slavery which we see around us. Then we're moving on to human trafficking, the recruitment or transportation transfer, harboring and you know, receipt of individuals through the use of force, you know, deception or other means for the purpose of exploitation. It's a criminal activity that often leads to modern slavery. Then the sex trafficking. Victims, often women and children, are forced into prostitution or other forms of sexual exploitation. We see this, we hear them, we hear these things. You know, slavery is something and this is beyond that. It's not something easy for anyone. You're just killing a person. You know, one side, I think I should say the extreme picture of modern slavery nowadays. There are many are into these things where they don't want to do it, but there's no other way. They are slaves. They cannot even go out of it. They are, human trafficking is happening. You know, sex trafficking is happening. They are victims. They cannot go out of that thing and they have to stay here. They, they can't, you know, uh, f- flew away from that. And, that's what we see and modern slavery is you know estimated gen- generates 150 billion dollars which is 121 billion pounds you know in illicit profit every year globally so when we look in the holy quran you know it states that oh messenger are you aware of religious you know precept which may be you know, likened to a great ascent upon the mountain by which a person is able to climb to the height of divine nearness if you are unaware, then we tell you that this is the freeing of a slave. So that's what Islam teaches, a beautiful teaching of Islam where it clarifies and shows to everyone that this how you should be living. Everybody's equal. Nobody has, you know, uh, power over anyone. Of course, there are some people who are working under you. Even then you have to treat them respectfully. They are working because, you know, the, 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 everybody is working. But it doesn't mean that he's, if he's under you, that means he becomes a slave of you. Everybody should be treated equally. Everybody should be respected equally as well. You see, as regards the modern slavery, existence of modern slavery in the UK, um, the facts from Hope for Justice organizations, they say that around 77% of leaders surveyed said that they expect to find modern slavery in their operations or supply chains. So here in the UK, it's uh, considered to be a developed country, and um, here also, all these forms which were mentioned earlier by uh, by Anik, that there is either a debt bondage, child labor, forced marriage, everything is existing here as well. Human trafficking is the main problem, sex trafficking, um, is is main problem, but in in any of these forms, the slavery does exist here in the UK as well. The um, one of the traditions of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, it has been narrated by Abu Huraira. May Allah be pleased with him. He was one of the companions of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He would say that uh, the Prophet stated, "O ye Muslims, you should not say my slave, my bondwoman." Rather, you should say, 
my lad, my lass. So a slave should also refrain from calling his owner Rab. Rab is my lord. Rather, he should address him by saying, my master or my guardian. So that uh, hadith has been taken, that tradition has been taken from Bukhari. So in this hadith, the mindset of both master and slave has been set right. In other words, on one hand, the thoughts of pride and arrogance have been effaced from the heart and mind of the master. So he doesn't consider himself to be the rub, the provider. But other, um, on the other hand, he feelings of confidence and self-respect have been instilled in the heart of the slave by just saying my master or my guardian rather than saying my rub. Modern slavery exists in many forms in the UK, including trafficking into criminal activities like cannabis farming, sexual exploitation, domestic slavery or forced labor on farms, in construction, in shops, in bars, in nail bars, car washes, or manufacturing. So all sorts of forced labor where you don't know, you know, the, the people, um, they have been bonded in some way and they're forced to work and they are not either not paid to the full or if, if the circumstances they are living in, they are forced to work, which they do not want to do. So while it is impossible to know the full extent of modern slavery in the UK, the Home Office released data to demonstrate the numbers of people referred to authorities. At the end of 2021, there were 12,727 potential victims of modern slavery, the highest number of referrals since the records began in 2009. So 43% of all of these were children, meaning there were 5,468 potential child victims. 31% of people referred were British nationals. So in 2021, criminal exploitation was the most common form of slavery in the UK, followed by forced labor. Criminal exploitation is often driven by the cultivation and sale of drugs in the UK, especially by exploiting children. This includes British children forced into county lines, drug trafficking, and Vietnamese nationals trafficked into forced labor in cannabis production. So you see all different forms of modern slavery. They may not be called or they may not be um, sort of given a label of or apparently um, being called as slavery, but they are a form of modern slavery where somebody is being forced to work, which he doesn't want to do, or he's not paying being paid adequately, and he has been trapped into this uh, form of slavery. So we should be uh, going to our uh, first guest in this show, in this uh, topic. Uh, Anik, can you introduce me? Yes, um, Ben Rayan, uh, Executive Director for Engagement at uh, Madeira Trust. Uh, he's with us. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Start off uh, with the first question, Ben. Can you please could you please tell us about yourself and the work you do, and what are your mission and goals? Of course. Well, I am the uh, deputy CEO at the Medai Trust, and we've been operating since 2006. We're one of the largest providers of support to survivors of modern slavery. Um, that includes uh, meeting about 600 survivors a year, um, including through 10 safe houses and six projects out in the community. We also do prevention work, trying to stop people falling into modern slavery in the first place through raising awareness and work in Albania. And we do pursuit work, which is trying to get justice for people from the people that have exploited them in the first place by helping them to navigate the criminal justice system. 
how does your organization identify and rescue victims of modern slavery? So we are what's called a first responder agency. So it's really important to know that um, victims of slavery can't self-identify themselves and get support. They have to be officially referred to the Home Office by a first responder agency. And that includes lots of statutory bodies like the police, but it also includes several charities, including ours. We work with the police, we work with survivors. We also take referrals. People can call into our website if there's someone they're worried about, if there's someone they think may be a victim. We will do an assessment. We go through an official referral system. If they're, um, if they're referred into the system, if they get what's called a reasonable grounds decision, that they may be a potential victim of slavery, then they're entitled to some support. That's the point at which they might enter, for example, into one of our safe houses. What is the current state of uh, modern slavery globally? And uh, how has it evolved in recent years? So the headline is that modern slavery is getting worse um, worldwide. It's increased by about 10 million people globally between 2016 and 2021, according to estimates from the Global Slavery Index. There's now more than 50 million people worldwide who we believe are some sort of, uh, in some form of what we'd call modern slavery. That includes 122,000 people in the UK. So roughly the size of a place the size of Gloucester, that entire population uh, potentially are victims within the UK. And that includes people in forced labour, people who are being forced to work without adequate pay. It includes people in sexual exploitation, forced into prostitution, criminal exploitation that might be forced to grow drugs or forced begging. And it also includes forced marriage, um, people who are, who are forced into marriage against their will. All of those would be classified as types of modern slavery. We're also worried whether there's less data about it, about a growing trend of people being trafficked for organs. Uh, and that would also count as, as another form of modern slavery. So could you uh, provide an overview of the key factors that contribute to the prevalence of modern slavery in today's world? The fundamental cause behind modern slavery is people who want to profit off other people for money. Um, people who are exploiting people for their own, out of their own greed and are prepared to undermine human dignity for that end. But of course, whilst that evil is always a kind of prevalent factor, there are particular vulnerabilities which increase the likelihood and risks around modern slavery. And poverty, of course, is one of those. Migration status is another. People's family situation. Anytime people are in a situation where they feel desperate, where they feel that they have to take any possible option to escape from the situation in which they find themselves, this is the position in which people who are exploiting others will find profit. So we know that there are people, for example, who will go to refugee camps to identify people who are vulnerable. We know they go to the poorest areas of the poorest countries to identify people with promises of a better life somewhere else. We know that they will target people whose family situation is bad, who are in care, who are in all of these kind of positions of vulnerability. All of these are risk factors. But the fundamental factor is having people who want to exploit others. Could you tell us about the Moving On project? And uh, what are its aims? So our Moving On project uh, has, is our community hub project. So it's a project which works in the community, supporting people um, who are in various situations. They might be people who have uh, once been in one of our safe houses, uh, have come out. They no longer need that kind of accommodation support. But they might need education support or asylum support or housing support. But it also works with people who've been referred into it by other people. 
um, including people who might not yet have been referred as victims of slavery, but might be in the future. And we're hoping that by having that system, which builds referral pathways with other service providers, which builds support and advocacy with people at their own pace in the community, and which also provides regular access to services, that this will help people to build their own sense of agency and dignity, take power in their own recovery and support. So very important questions. Uh, how can we as a society work towards breaking the shackles of modern slavery and creating a world free from this human rights abuse? I just want to encourage everyone to be, to be vigilant. You know, if there are things which you see which you think that doesn't look right you know if you go to a car wash and it seems just a bit too cheap or a nail bar and you think there's something off about the way that that person's boss is interacting with them know the signs have a look at the resources which are provided by the modern slavery helpline by our charity at medai by lots of other excellent ngos which are out there know some of the signs to watch out for and then take action there's a modern slavery helpline if you see something where you think that just didn't look right to me. You can call. And if it's nothing, it's no problem. It will be investigated, but things will go on. But if it is something, then you might be helping to actually liberate someone from slavery. Oh, that's great. Uh, ben, uh, is there any um, uh, sort of how can people communicate to you if they, they want they want to report somebody or they want to, uh, somebody to be investigated to, to, uh, with your trust? How can they contact? You can go on to our website. Um, www.medai-trust.org.uk that's m-e-d-a-i-l-l-e-trust -E mm -hmm. um, you'll find our contact details on there we're very happy to help there's many other brilliant NGOs out there as well there's the modern slavery helpline if there's something you want to call up to, to ask about with, if you've got a concern I'd encourage you to look up that as well that's great thank you very much uh, Ben for joining us uh, this afternoon it has been very useful and uh, I think everybody would benefit out of that. Thank you for joining Thank you for us. having me. Thank you. Have a nice evening. Bye. So that was uh, Ben Rayon. He is Executive Director for Engagement at Medal Trust and he's talking about the modern slavery in the UK, how we can help, what are the signs we can identify and how we can um, actually um, engage in trying to help somebody who might not come out and uh, might not be in a position where he can get out of this. So how do people get trapped in slavery? I mean, uh, of course, I mean, uh, there are so many people who, who it's not intentional that they want to get into it, but somehow they get trapped into it. And in the UK, both foreign and vulnerable British individuals, especially disadvantaged children, are susceptible to trafficking into slavery. Even in 2021, the statistics reveal that British nationals constituted a significant group referred to authorities. Victims coerced into illegal activities like drug manufacturing, fear being criminalized by UK authorities, undermining trust in law enforcement and social services. So unfortunately, the UK's anti-slavery system is currently ill-equipped to support victims due to a hostile environment policy and legislation like the Nationality and Borders Act, treating trafficked individuals as immigration offenders rather than providing needed care. Cuts to public services further hinder anti-slavery anti efforts and investigations. 
modern slavery uh, ensnares people through deceit, high recruitment fees, coercion, abduction, organized trafficking networks, and exploitation of vulnerability factors, while isolation, cultural pressure, family exploitation, and a lack of awareness exacerbate the problem. So this is what we, we need to be aware because the awareness, and that's what we are doing today, is that's just people making making people aware that this is going on. Um, slavery is not um, uh, like a history of the past, something of the past. It is still going on in some form or the other in the form which is called modern slavery. One should be aware of it. One should be aware of the signs. And somebody, if you find or if you think that somebody is in trouble, just get in touch with the particularly modern slavery helpline is not uh, something which uh, which is easy to to find out just go on to that line just report that all they will do is just investigate about this person and and try to help if possible so that would be something which uh, which i think is a responsible uh, responsibility of everyone who can do that um, uh, there's a hadith, there is a, again a tradition of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Hazrat Abu Masood Badari uh, was the name of a companion who relates that uh, this hadith, he says that on one occasion, due to some reason, I hit my slave. At that time, I heard a voice of a person from behind me saying, look here, Abu Masood, what are you doing? But in my anger, I could not recognize the voice and continued beating my slave. During this time, the voice began to move closer. When I turned round, I found the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, approaching me, repeating the same words, Look here, Abu Masood, what are you doing? Upon seeing the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, my staff fell from my hands. The Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, angrily looked towards me and said, O oh, Abu Masood, there is a God above you who possesses more power with respect to you than you possess over this slave. I submitted, O Messenger of Allah, I free this slave for the sake of God. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, if you had not done so, the fire of hell would have burned your face. That tradition has been taken from uh, an authentic Hadith book, Muslim. So you see, this is the this is to the extent the Holy Prophet of Islam, mm. Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He encouraged people to to have fear of Allah and be kind to their slaves. And if they, every possible occasion, he ac actually encouraged them to free their slaves. So here, one thing I'd like to mention is, um, it could be thought that why didn't the Holy Prophet just, you know, free all the slaves at once, um, as, you know, maybe Abraham Lincoln did. And I think one thing we need to do is uh, look at the results that, you know, even after Abraham Lincoln did, um, you know, free um, brothers from slavery, uh, the mindset of the people hadn't changed. Whereas the Holy Prophet, uh, you know, peace, and peace be upon him, rather than... Um, freeing them all at once and, you know, not changing the mindset and people still having the same mindset where the slave's still thinking as a slave and, you know, the owner is still thinking as an owner or thinking to have some sort of power uh, upon the other Muslim brother. What the Holy Prophet ﷺ did is he used other methods where slowly he changed the mindset of the people whereby not only were the slaves freed, rather they actually became like the brothers.
of the owners. Thank you, Usman. I think we have got our, our next guest online. Uh, she's Kathy Betridge. Uh, she's a director of anti-trafficking and modern slavery, and uh, we will be. It is a pleasure to to uh, invite her on our show today. Uh, welcome, Kathy. Uh, thanks for coming on our show today. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Okay. Um, can you provide an overview of the Salvation Army's mission and activities in addressing human trafficking and modern slavery globally or, or in your specific region? Yes, of course. Um, so the Salvation Army is a church and a charity, and uh, we've been active in um, helping victims of um, slavery. Um, it's now sort of modern slavery since our, our, our founder, um, William Booth, in 1865. But now currently, um, in uh, 2023, we hold a government contract um, and we work with a number of partners to provide support to uh, victims of modern slavery, um, offering them um, safe house accommodation, outreach support um, and uh, financial help, um, counselling, medical support, legal support. Um, and part of our mission as a Salvation Army and as an anti-trafficking modern slavery department is that we want to um, help to end modern slavery because it's still very prevalent and our report for this last year um, highlights that. So uh, what are the primary forms of human trafficking and modern slavery that the Salvation Army works to combat and where are these issues most prevalent? Well, we work to combat all um, and you know everybody who's uh, entitled to this support we would want to you know support them and there's all types of modern slavery so we would support um the many many types um so there's forced labor which has been highlighted this last year has again been one of the, the highest areas where people have been um, rescued from there's sexual exploitation there's domestic service um, there's criminal activity uh, where somebody and we find there's a number of um, people are especially British nationals, they're the second highest country, um, again, for a second year. Um, and the involvement that um, many of them is in um, moving drugs across counties. Okay, um, thank you for that. How does the Salvation Army identify and rescue victims of human trafficking and what kind of support is offered to the survivors? So we have people coming to us and they may have escaped themselves and they've gone to the police or a member of the public has supported them and then they've taken them to, to the police, or they've been brought to us and referred to us through the first responder um, system into the national referral mechanism. So we as a charity are also a first responder, but they've come to us from places, you know, like um, Brussels, factories, um, the care sector, um, hospitality, um, construction, and, uh, you know, they, they've been identified as a potential victim and they, they are referred then into our support and as I said you know we support victims um, in England and Wales and we offer them the um, services that I, I outlined earlier. Okay that's great so um, what strategies and initiatives uh, does the Salvation Army employ to raise awareness about these issues in communities and among the public? Well we work all the year round. Um, you know, the, the 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 support we give is is twenty four seven and three hundred sixty five. You know, days of the year, it, it's 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 constant. But we want to raise awareness through media, through social media. 
we work in partnership with other organizations and we also want to raise awareness of the public and we call on the public to um, look out for the signs so today is anti-slavery day and we have um, a, a temporary tattoo that we're, we're campaigning we're asking people to to purchase a tattoo where it it's a we are not for sale barcode and it's just highlighting the fact that you know a human life a human body is not a sellable commodity um, so it reminds people that you know people are not for sale and they cannot be used and exploited in the way um, that we find they are and we want the public to keep an eye out and to spot the signs so it's looking for, around for people, not just looking around, but people maybe, you know, moving and working amongst them because the expression used is hidden in plain sight. And that is exactly the case. You know, people are, are working in situations where they are being exploited. So being aware of those people who may be um, malnourished, who might be working long hours and potentially won't be getting paid for that. Um, they're tired, they're, they're maybe being um, you know, managed by another person and, and they're speaking on their behalf. If the public are at all anxious or concerned, then I would strongly urge them to contact the police in the first place um, and tell them of their concerns. No information um, is, is useless information. The police will then respond in the appropriate manner. Okay, so... Um... I mean, how how can people get in touch with you in order to, you know, if they want to, um, if they see somebody mm -hmm. is involved and, and somebody, okay. how can they get help um, for if, if they want to get in touch with you? Sure. Well, um, we have a confidential referral helpline and that number is 0800-808-3733. And that number will take them through to our um, our helpline and they will get advice from, from there as to what they can do and if they can, um, you know, what support they can receive. So I would urge them to call that number. Um, one other thing, Cathy, I would like to ask you, you know, what are the mm -hmm. recent changes in, in law that are, you know, you know, preventing people from gaining freedom? Well, you know, as you're aware, um, we have now recently um, you know, um, heard about the passing of the Illegal Migration Act. Back in the end of last year, there was the Nationality and Borders Act. The Illegal Migration Act is causing us um, grave concerns um, because we fear and we feel, and we did speak into the, the, the bill as it was before it became an act, because we feel it will prevent genuine victims from accessing the support they need and, of course, are entitled to. So, for example, somebody who's been trafficked, who's been forced into entering the UK illegally by traffickers may not have the documentation because if they've been given a passport or documents, they're invariably fake or their documents have been removed from them. So they won't have the proof and the evidence um, to give to show that they have um, entered the um, country in a way that they've been forced to and therefore they will potentially not be able to remain and they won't receive the support that they need and that they're entitled to. So in what ways can individuals and communities get involved in supporting the Salvation Army's anti-trafficking and you know the modern slavery efforts? Mm -hmm. Well again I would encourage people to spot the signs um, if, if you can't remember them, then you know go onto our website and you'll you'll have a you know a, a lot of information about that. But also, you know, we strongly 
and would love to have people to offer volunteering opportunities. We have those training and um, information is shared, but we've got op um, volunteer opportunities as a first responder, as a driver to take somebody from where they've been rescued to a place of safety, to a safe house, and a chaperone to accompany that driver. We also have mentoring opportunities that volunteers can mentor and support a victim as they recover and, and you know, move on with their lives. But also donations. Um, we have a survivor support fund where individuals can um, have extra help and support. So, for example, somebody we we were supporting now really wanted to to, to carry on with the skill they had in, in sewing. They needed a sewing machine, so we were able to to fund that for them. That's just a, a small um, item, but it was such a help and has been for this person. So there's there's donations and there's opportunities to volunteer. Uh, indeed. Thank you very much, um, you know, Kathy Batch, for joining us today. It was a pleasure speaking with you, and I hope, uh, you know, our listeners have benefited from this. And if they, if somebody's in need, definitely, uh, you know, we urge them to get, uh, you know, contact with the Kathy Batridge and hope uh, they would yeah. get appropriate help. Thank you very much for joining us today, and have a nice Thank evening. Thank you for inviting me. You too. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. So you were listening to Kathy Batridge was mentioning how uh, you know things happening and as discussing the modern slavery, moving back to causes and consequences of slavery. Uh, so, modern slavery and human trafficking have various causes, and one of it is including you know poverty or lack of education, and one of the things is political instability and uh, social discrimination. Traffickers, you know, prey on vulnerable individuals and exploit their desperate circumstances. And here I would like to say that you know, sometimes <clears throat> there are some children, not everyone I should say, or people, they are after something, they have some desires, they have some desperate circumstances in a way, you know, where I would again, you know, I would present the saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, where he said, try to live a simple life. You are here as a traveler, feel like you're, think like that you're a traveler in this world and you have to leave one day. So you have to minimize every single thing to, you know, uh, to 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 uh, get rid of or you know get uh, the people come after you. But of course, there are some desperate circumstances where, you know, traffickers they they prey you, and uh, or if you are in vulnerable situations. So uh, we should have vigilant that what's happening around us. If somebody's in need, definitely we should, you know, uh, um, go and help them and, and at least tell them there are the ways. Because sometimes we are seeing around us, sometimes we can feel it that something's not happening uh, in the right way. You know, victims of modern slavery and human trafficking endure physical and uh, psychological harm and including abuse, violence and trauma. And it is a violation of human rights. And this cycle can be difficult to break. So as victims often lack, you know, access to help and support. So in the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty states that true virtue in the estimation of God is that an individual believes in God, spends in his cause for love of him, on the kindred and the orphans and the needy and the wayfarer and for freeing slaves. So in Islam, again and again, regardless is if, if it's the Quran, the, the book of from God Almighty itself, or the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, his sayings, or him, his own character, it clearly shows us that Islam 
you know, doesn't want to see anybody slay of anyone in any shape. And this is the teaching of Islam, and that's what we are you know, discussing, what's been happening and how, you know, Islam, what Islam says and what Islam stands on it. And we see in, in, in the entire world, you know, oh, oh, even though there are some, we see the, the people still, it doesn't mean if they are following a religion or they are, they are still doing some bad stuff. They are not following what Islam teaches. What Islam teaches is, which I've just seen, I just, I just mentioned, that freeing the slave. That what's, you know, in the second chapter of the Holy Quran says. So, in this regard, we have to, you know, take care. We have to look around us. And always, if you need, do take the help which is around us. In terms of combating modern slavery and human traffic, trafficking, uh, I think we should focus on raising awareness, improving education and economic opportunities, strengthening legal mm -hmm. frameworks, and providing support services to victims. Recognizing the signs of trafficking and reporting suspicious activities is also crucial to preventing and addressing these issues and trying to eliminate them. Here I would like to also mention a hadith uh, it by Abu Naz Nawar, may Allah be pleased with him, who was a merchant of cotton cloth. He narrates that on one occasion, Hazrat Ali, may Allah be pleased with him, came to his shop. At the time he was accompanied by one of his slaves. Ali, may Allah be pleased with him, purchased two thin shirts and said to his slave, select the shirt you desire from among these two. Hence, the slave chose a shirt and Hazrat Ali, May Allah be pleased with him, wore the one which was left behind. And again, this is just an example of the mindset change the Holy Prophet, may Allah be pleased with him, brought about, where the slave was actually given precedence over the owner. And again, this is the teaching of Islam, and I think wherever we see the right has been, you know, uh, taken away from people, and this, uh, I think this is a right where the rights we are discussing and what's been happening in modern slavery that your due rights has been taken. You're not getting what you should get. And the people who are in power, they, they know that they are your rights. But, you know, this is called modern slavery. And I think uh, we should keep, um, you know, just have a, just having a discussion on this and we should try to overcome this. And with this note, we would like to, you know, thank our listeners as well who are with us and who were listening to our show from the last two hours. We have discussed... Uh, uh, sustainable living in the first hour and second hour we discussed uh, modern slavery and uh, which is still exist unfortunately and uh, we should uh, we should be doing whatever we can do to get rid of it with this i would like to thank the producers of today's show and the technical team working behind the scenes and uh, we will be with you uh, until next time assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh